Welcome back to another episode of the Rose Radio Show, Extraordinary Conversations with Ordinary People. And we are joined by an amazing person. My next guest is someone I have known for almost 16, 17 years now. We've been close ever since. She's one of the most kind, genuine, interesting, unique, fun people I've ever met. She's one of my best friends in life. Matt's Lax Nagala, everybody. Oh, stop. No. <laughs> you know it's true. All the way from Denver. So happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Oh, man. There's so many things I wanted to talk about, but one thing that I think is one of the best traits about you is you are so kind. And I was telling you about it uh, earlier, but I purposely didn't want to have a full talk about it until hmm. this. But um, uh, So around here in LA, we have delivery robots. <laughs> and we have this cool thing where these little robots and they have um, lights on the front, circular lights on the front of them, and they look like eyes. And one, it's useful because the uh, robot has cameras and it needs to see, it needs it to see, but also it makes them look more human-esque because they mm. look like they have faces. Um, and I saw this poor delivery robot that um, they normally are pretty good at getting around obstacles, but if there was an obstacle it couldn't get around it, it got knocked over. And the poor thing was just sitting there trying to turn. And, um, you know, a person walked by and helped pick it up. And then it kept, you know, going. Obviously, it's a robot and it couldn't say thank you or anything. But it was such a genuine act. And it's sad how many people can't show that sort of kindness to real people. Um, but, you know, for some reason, they could do that robot. And probably the person who picks up the robot probably helps other people in real life. But it's sad. But you've always just been so sweet and honest. And, you know, you've had a lot of hard things happen to you in life. My, my first question to you is, like, how do you stay so positive? Huh. Well, oftentimes, I'm the robot. I'm the one that's flailing on the ground waiting for somebody to get them. Um, but you know, I draw a lot of positivity from the happiness that I give to others. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm like a harbinger of like happiness and joy, but like, I would. <laughs> like, you know, I started out with a customer service job and it was my job to be a happy, smiley person. And you know, they always say like when you like put a smile on your face and you plaster it on, you start to believe it. Yep. And so I think I finally realized like when my first job, when I worked at an ice cream store, when a new person would roll up, I'd be like, oh, okay, I got to make them ice cream. I'd kind of like uh, cringe or like groan at the moment. But now when I see strangers, I always smile at them. Mm -hmm. And it's funny seeing their reaction. They either like smile like very weakly and then look away or they have a full on smile and they don't stop looking at me. And I love that. Um, and so, yeah, I just try to be a very kind and welcoming person and mm. it turns me into a better person for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But. You, you said oftentimes you feel like the robot that's yeah. fallen over. And do you feel like, you know, you're always that person for other people, but do you feel like when you've fallen over that there are people, you know, who are there to help pick you up? 
Most of the time, yes. Um, if it's not you, then it's someone in my support group, my very small but close-knit support group. Um, unfortunately, because I move around so much, I don't have a lot of people in my immediate vicinity that I could call up and be like, hey, I'm stuck on the road and I've fallen and I can't get up. Mm-hmm. Life alert, help. <laughs> <laughs> um but like, you know, with technology, everyone's just a phone call or a text away. And so, um, yeah, I can always rely on people, even if they're far away to help out. Yeah, but it is concerning. Like, I can definitely relate to that because I just moved back from Arizona like, you know, three, four months ago. And we were just talking about this earlier, how I felt while I was there that I still had friends. It's not like anyone just unfriended me because I moved cities, but when you're not capable of being around someone as much, you almost feel like your friends are just apps or just like part of your digital screen. And that was really tough. I mean, my number one thing I've been so focused on since I came back to LA was making a community. You know, last night, had some friends over, went out, and it was so much fun. But I was just so happy that we were able to bring people together and they all had a good time because, you know, my whole time in Arizona, I was like, it didn't matter what I did. There just weren't the people there. I couldn't, I couldn't have that. And I understand just how important it is to have people, even if you're not super close to them, you know, that you can be around and you know, enjoy a community together. And you, I'm the type of person, as you know, that like relationships are incredibly important to me. Mm-hmm. It's one of the main reasons I do this show. But more than anything, I want to feel like I know someone very intimate and deeply. You know, I have surface level friends, but I also feel like it's hard for me to consider someone really my friend if we can't have a full discussion, if there are things I have to hide from them, if I can't fully be myself. Mm-hmm. You're more of an acquaintance to me almost. And, but also when you get that you know, intimate and close with someone that you talk to all the time, I have a hard time letting people go. Mm. Like once I've shared some sort of like connection with someone, I will try to be friends with someone as long as possible. I mean, and we met in fourth grade, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and we're still friends. And not a lot of people do that. And it's just hard. But, you know, so you currently live in Denver, correct? Yeah, I do. How do you like it? Um, I love it. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite part about Denver is that, like, everyone is inspiring. Like, even though I've never climbed a mountain in my life, um, like rock climbing, for instance. You've um, hiked a lot of mountains. I've hiked. Like, you could say that I climbed the mountain, but, like, there's people that mountain bike and paraglide, and they do the, the big, um, the triumvirate, where they hike up a mountain um, and they ski down and then they swim or something in an ice lake afterwards. In the same day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a rite of passage. And we have like um, a bunch of 14ers, like the Colorado 14er mountains that are above 14,000 sea level. Like they're, it's kind of a rite of passage to summit all the 14ers and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And yeah, like people, like they'll, right um on a cardboard sign like um that they summited um mount elbert or whatever and they'll put that on their tinder or their instagram wow and yeah like it's obnoxious like but it's also like well they can do it 
why can't I? I like look at the mountain from like Denver, like at the base of the mountain. I'm like, I'm never gonna climb that in my life. But <laughs> seeing that they can do it, like, I don't know. There's there's so many people like that. Is it like inspiring to you? Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. I talk to other people and sometimes they say it's intimidating. Like mm. if I'm not out hiking, then what am I doing? Like right. that's, that's the, the cool trendy thing to do. Even listening to you say that, that's how I feel, right? Like, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Like I'm in LA and everyone's like, oh, people in LA, they're so active. Yeah. They like jog uh-huh. and girls like go to Pilates. Maybe <laughs> like we'll hike like we did yesterday. That's about it. But you know, you rarely meet people who are out just like scaling mountains and stuff. That seems very intimidating to me. (laughs) Yeah, there's like so many Facebook groups that are like hiking Colorado and like just seeing like, even if it's like a shitty day outside, like it's like raining, it might be snowing up in the mountains. People are still summiting them. They like, they get their ice picks and their, um, their clamps for their shoes and stuff. And they're like mountaineering. And I would love to do that one day but like <laughs> i don't know it's also really clicky Ooh. um so like when the further that you get more advanced into the outdoorsy culture the more clicky it's gonna be so is there you, like a hierarchy it's like oh well because obviously scaling mountains like that that's a skill right yeah. you can't just do a mountain Absolutely. so are people who are like doing like the level four or five mountain not gonna hang out with you because like you'd hold them back oh absolutely <laughs> and the same goes for skiing too like there's difficulty in um the slopes so you have like the bunny slopes yeah. um and then you work your way up to like the black diamond maybe the bl- the double black diamond or like there's even harder ones that i don't even know how to call them and um when you go skiing like you want to be with somebody that's at your skill level. Of course. Um, so you don't have to wait on them like the whole time. And that's basically how mountaineering goes too. Like you can dip your foot into it or you can try the hardest one. Um, but you're always going to find somebody somewhere in the middle. Interesting. That's, that's just, I don't know, that's a lot for me to take in because I can't even ski at all. So the idea of like being in a culture that's surrounded about outdoorsy stuff, it'd be fun, but it would be different. Do you feel like you like fit in there culturally at least? Like do you, I mean, you love being outside. Mm -hmm. Like, do you feel like you're around people who like you could make friendships with and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Even though they're on like, obviously a higher level than me, like they're, just pushing themselves to the limit. Like we were on the hike yesterday and there were some like hard spots cause we were, you know, gaining elevation. And like, I was like, you know, out of shape a little bit, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, like you always feel so refreshed, mm-hmm. even though you almost died, you know, like <laughs> there's definitely been a few times when I've been on a mountain and I was like reflecting on it later. Like if something went wrong, I could have died. Give me a story. <laughs> Give me like a crazy time. Um, well, it's funny because the one that comes to mind is not even a mountain, rather going into the Grand Canyon. Ooh, okay. So we went on this like geology field trip and we went to the Grand Canyon. We like started our hike at 3 a.m. because the sun rises at five Mm -hmm. and, um, you want to get down there before it gets really hot. And this particular day, it was like a heat wave and there were signs everywhere. There were like, it's going to get 120 today. We were, we were like asking the program administrators. Should like, we be doing this? We were like, this is crazy. Why should we do this? And they're like, well, that's like a typical day in the Grand Canyon. And Wait, do you know like around what time of the year it was, genuinely? It was 
July. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a heat wave, and there were signs everywhere. And we even saw a sign that was like, missing man. And it was like an old man. And he had a jug of water. And they're like, we haven't seen him in days. And as I was hiking down, I saw an empty jug of water, just like his, but no sign of any old man. Oh, my God. And we're like, this is comforting. <laughs> but we, you know, we're going for it. And... So I hike down as far as I can go because if you go to the very bottom of the Grand Canyon, it's actually really lush and beautiful and cool down there. Okay. You would think in like the bottom of the earth that it would be extremely hot, but because all the water funnels down to the Grand Canyon, um, it's actually really cool down there. It's like a nice breeze. So when you go back up, it's like, oh, I miss it. Mm -hmm. Bring me back down there. But so after an exhausting day, it was just me because everyone was like way faster than me. They didn't wait for you? No, we just do it at our own pace. What if you like tripped or something? They just trust us. (laughs) (laughs) By this point, we'd already done like um, several months of hiking. Um, And so, yeah, no one was really concerned. I, I like to take my time. And we were doing a mapping project too. So I had to like actually work on something. But I see these girls, and um, they did not get the memo. They were wearing, like, some Walmart flip-flops. Oh, God. um, Some, like, booty shorts and some tank tops, no hat. They had run out of water. They'd run out of food. And they were hiking back up, thank God. But um, they were like, I don't think we're going to make it. I was like, guys, you're being dramatic. But I, like, saw how tired they were. And, like... That sounds scary. It was probably, what, 110 at this point? Oh, it was so, like... At this point, the rangers were going down the mountain telling everybody on their way down to come back up because it was going to start getting really hot. Like, that's why we planned it so early that we wanted to be back up by noon. And like two o'clock is usually the hottest part of the day. Right. Um, And so, yeah, like you would, it it seems counterintuitive to dress in a long sleeve shirt and long sleeve pants when you're on a hike like that, like really hot. But it's the only thing shielding you from the sun. Yeah, you have to have something protecting your skin, right? Yeah. That's why and they wear hats and stuff? Yeah, like when you're fishing, like you wear like uh, like a long sleeve collared shirt, mm-hmm. but it's because it's designed to like reflect the sun away from you. Mm-hmm. And so they were just so exposed to the sun. They probably were super dehydrated. And as a rule with my program, you always uh, hike with a bottle of water and a bottle of Powerade. And they had been like stockpiling on water the whole time, but they'd never stopped to eat a salty snack or Mm. drink any electrolytes. electrolytes. Right, yeah. So I gave them the rest of my Powerade. And they were like, (laughs) they're like, this is so gross. It's hot and stuff. I was like, doesn't matter. You need to have it. And like, I was explaining to them, like, if they drink cold water on a hot day, it like messes up your homeostasis. Like, um, a lot of people in like the Saharan desert, they drink hot tea while they're inside. Really? To make their butt, their body adjust before they go outside. Wow. Oh, so you, instead of trying to cool your body down, you're warming it up so it's more, so the hot temperatures don't bother it as much. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I can, never would have thought of that. Yeah. There's a lot of like counterintuitive things that you would think. Um, but yeah, so um, they... A few times they were so tired that they sat down in the shade to relax and stuff. But I was telling them, like, that's only going to make you more tired because 
you're gonna start getting more comfortable in the shade and you don't want to get up and your body temperature goes down and then it gets worse right exactly they weren't really thinking about all of that and so I was just being their tour guide essentially and I kept looking at my watch I was like geez I bet the rest of my group is already back up um, but I made it my mission to like save these girls cause, uh, they seemed pretty hopeless at the time. I mean, that's amazing. You basically <laughs> saved their lives cause they easily could have passed out and then it gets up to, you know, 115 plus, like, unless someone was there to basically pick them up, you know, it could have gotten really bad for them. Yeah. And same with that old man that the like signs were talking <laughs> about, like RIP. He, he probably like put his water down, took a nap. And then got super dehydrated. And you can't think when you're that you're that dehydrated. You're delirious, right? Yeah. And like the Grand Canyon's actually at a pretty high elevation. Like it snows there. Yeah. And so yeah, I can only imagine. Um, so yeah, we like finally made it up there and they were extremely thankful for me and they added me on Facebook or whatever. Aww. And but my group was so mad at me. They were like, We've been waiting and like there's no service in the Grand Canyon. So they're like, We we didn't know where to reach you. But I was like, you know, I helped these girls out and they're like, Okay. You know, they weren't they're were very forgiving. But that's like the moment that I decided that I should be like some sort of ranger or like some sort of outdoors worker because like um, I want to help people who don't really uh, know how grueling the outdoors can be. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, literally every time we hang out, you teach me something new about, you know, the outdoors or nature within like the first 10 minutes. (laughs) But that's great. And, you know, it shows just how genuine a person you are. You had never met these people before. Mm -hmm. You didn't know them anything. It literally didn't. It hurt you because, you know, people at your job got mad at you. It could have become a problem, but you were able to put other people before yourself. And you've done that since the day I've met you. And I think that's just so sweet you know and being out here in LA you don't get as much of that probably more in Denver but you've lived all over you've been so you've lived in Denver Arizona Mm -hmm. Japan Mm -hmm. and where else um so I worked at Grand Teton which is in Wyoming yes I forgot about that so yeah I was up there with Kanye at um (laughs) Jackson Hole Wyoming yep uh, and now RuPaul, I guess. And who's that other person? Uh, Jeffree Star is, yeah. <laughs> is harvesting yaks, I guess. <laughs> um, so I lived there a little bit. And then I moved to Oregon a, for a brief stint. And I was a crew leader for a, bun- a bunch of youth. And when I say youth, it was like 16 to 17. How do you feel like all the places you've lived have like kind of given you a different perspective? Oh, yeah. Because I think one of the things we talk about a lot is, you know, we're both from Georgia, come Mm -hmm. from a very small town. And being in a small town, you grow up with a very, very small myopic perspective of the world. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that kind of opens that up like travel. So like, you know, tell me about living in different places and like how it's affected your perception of like life. Hmm. Well, um, I think that like having a worldly view of everything makes everything seem a lot smaller. Mm. Like if you had a really crappy day, I don't know. I just like to expand my thinking and think about, well, what if, what about this person in Italy? And like, I wonder how their day is going. Like I make up a person in my mind and they're probably upset because they ran out of tomatoes or (laughs) they missed their, um, (laughs) 
what are they like the little boats in Florence gondolas? Oh, or the whatever. gondolas! Yeah. Oh, they miss their gondola. Or they <laughs> 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 I'm not sure how they work, but um, and that gives you like a different perspective. Yeah, because like some people have very region specific problems. Like, yeah. you know, my mom the other day was complaining, it's so hot and humid and we keep getting thunderstorms all the time. And I was just talking to you about how we don't get thunderstorms in Colorado very often. And it snows a lot. It snows a lot. Yeah. My mom is like, I can't like fathom why you'd want to live in the snow. And for the longest time I was like, yeah, how do people live in the snow? But like, um, it's, I don't know, natural by this point to build my life around that, like, driving in the snow sucks but the more that you do it the better you get at it so I finally reached a point where I am not biting my nails every time I get in the car when it's snowing Mm -hmm. but I've learned to appreciate that like I don't know the fresh crunch of snow when it's like freshly fallen and like it turns this like whole sky yellow because there's like ice crystals in the the sky and so everything's yellow and it feels otherworldly and so yeah i've begun to appreciate something that i thought that i hated all my life because yeah. we had the snow apocalypse we really demonized snow in georgia but yeah it's actually pretty nice to deal with sometimes that's so interesting you know the number one thing that I want to center most of this conversation around, because I think you're really an expert at it in many ways, is like mental health. Mm. You know, you, you've been through a lot. And I want to kind of take it back to the beginning. We went to elementary, middle, and high school together. Mm-hmm. And you were bullied a lot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> share with me when that started, what was it like, and like, you know, how it affected you. Um. Well, I think that it all started like maybe in third grade um, where I started spending way more time online, which most people my age, they were usually just playing football in their front yard. For for reference, third grade was 2003. Yeah. Right. So that gives you an idea of what the internet was like at the time. Yeah. 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 So like, I remember my dad, like, because he uh, was working for Terminex, which is like where he goes house to house. Someone gave him a desktop computer. Really? Yeah. They were like, we're so thankful for you. Here's a desktop computer. And that was before, like, any of my friends had one. Yeah. And, like, the only time I saw a computer was in the computer lab. the computer lab, yeah. (laughs) Where we practiced how to type and whatever. And so my sister and I would fight all the time about who would use the computer. And she was on Exanga. Do you remember Exanga? No. That was way before Facebook. It's, like, X-A-N-G-A. And it was, like, Friendster. Yeah. It was kind of like that. And she was like a social butterfly. And so I just watched how successful she was with making friends and assumed I would have the same luck. But, you know, she's extroverted. I'm introverted. And so um, I distinctly remember that my classmates were very chatty. And I wanted to chime in, but I wasn't really following what they were saying. So I would just Mm -hmm. say something, I don't know, off-kilter. They were like oh, she doesn't know, she's not involved in what we're talking about. So mm. that's where like the alienation kind of started. So it started by feeling like an other because mm-hmm. you couldn't relate to what other girls or I guess guys or whatever at the time were experiencing. Yeah, 
Um, I even remember like, cause I had the luxury and the privilege of having a really large yard. Um, I remember as, that as a, a youngin. And so I would spend a lot of my time, uh, going out in the woods and exploring. And mm. that was my version of fun. I would even like, we had a really long, steep driveway in the back and I would like take a scooter and ride down the hill really fast and like crash myself into the bushes. Oh wow! And like, they're the bushes. So like, you know, I wasn't getting like really hurt or scraped or anything, but I was like, this is really fun. I was like a thrill seeker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like most of my classmates are talking about limited Two or what was on Nickelodeon that day, mm-hmm. which, you know, I can get down with some SpongeBob. And I think the, the very first media that I ever owned was Pokemon VHS tapes. Oh, amazing. My mom like knew that I had a very big liking for like Pokemon. And so I had a cabinet full of Pokemon VHS tapes that I would watch over and over again. And like now as an adult, I'm like, there's not a single show that I would do that. Like (laughs) maybe, maybe one, but like they're timeless. They were so good. Um, And so like people were talking about normal media and I was like talking about, Pokemon. So you had different interests than other people and you spent a lot of time online. Mm -hmm. I I see the exclusion, but when did it go across the line to like bullying? I think the bullying started when um, I gained a lot of weight. I remember, um, because my mom is disabled, um, she would uh, not cook for us very often. She'd cook dinner every night um, when she, when she could. Um, but I was in charge of basically making my own meals. And so I spent an entire summer eating ramen because <laughs> <laughs> I love ramen. Um, and like the media that I was watching, like they loved ramen too. I was like, this is just like Ash from Pokemon. <laughs> um, and so I spent a whole summer like like getting very carbo loaded on ramen. And, uh, before I knew it, I had stretch marks on my body. And you were how old? Um, I was third. No, 13 is like sixth grade. I was like, um, 11, like 11. Cool. Yeah. Um, tough time to be gaining weight as a girl in middle school. Uh huh. (laughs) And I had no idea what was going on either. Like I didn't really have a clear view on what nutrition was Mm. and, how if I eat certain things, that's good, but other things, it's bad. Um, and I like had stretch marks on my legs once, and my mom and I went to Kohl's, mm-hmm. and we were in the uh, the changing room trying on stuff, and she saw my stretch marks for the first time, and she started crying at Kohl's. Oof. And I was like, I didn't understand why she, I was just like, this is a new thing. I've never seen it before. But yeah, then she started like um, labeling me as such, like, Mm. you know, you're getting overweight, like you're not going to be able to wear the same clothes as like most of the people at school. You know that, right? And I was like, yeah, I guess I never really thought about it. Um, So that's when I started going to food as a comfort Mm. because I would go to school and everyone would like scoff at me. I remember this one really mean moment. where um, somebody, like, they touched me uh, with their finger, and they're like, ah, now you have the cooties. And, like, 
uh, I guess cooties was like a really big deal back then. And I was like, <laughs> what? Oh no, what do I do? And they're like, well, you have to pass it on to someone else. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And I'm like looking for people to touch. And they're like, ew, don't touch me. You're so gross. And like, I really took that to heart. And like, you really internalized that. Cooties, I had cooties. Um, but yeah, I also like my sister, she was two grades above me. You know, she's the social light and everything. And people were like, why can't you be more like your sister? Mm-hmm. And she was wearing Hollister. She could fit into Hollister and Abercrombie and Fitch. And my, most of my clothes were hand-me-downs. So when they got to me and I couldn't fit in them, I just felt really bad. Mm-hmm. And my mom would be like, well, now we have to go shopping for you because you can't fit in them. So... Yeah, my mom wasn't very supportive throughout that. Um, But yeah, I would say the peak of my bullying happened when uh, I was in sixth grade because that's when YouTube.com was created. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm interested to see how this intersects with the story. So YouTube gets started, so that means this is 06-ish, something like that? mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, so what had happened was (laughs) there was a pretty intense episode of Naruto that came on Toonami. And I really wanted to know how it was going to end. They like left it on a cliffhanger. And so I did some mental math. I was like, I think that's Naruto episode like 30, if I'm not mistaken. So I Googled Naruto episode 30 or something like that. And then like on the seventh page of results, YouTube.com was there. <laughs> and I was totally wrong. Uh, that was not episode 30. Um, that was like 80. <laughs> And I accidentally spoiled uh, a huge chunk of Naruto by doing that. But this was like a mecca where people were uploading Japanese shows that I had no way of getting to (laughs) into like three parts because I guess... um, There was a time limit on YouTube back then. You couldn't post videos more than 10 minutes. I think, yeah, it was 10 (laughs) minutes. So it'd be like Naruto episode 30, part one, part two, part three. And then sometimes like they would delete a part or like... I couldn't find it. I was like missing pieces of the show, but this is the best thing that I had. And so I started devoting a lot of time to it. So you start binge watching Naruto on YouTube. Oh my God. <laughs> it was beautiful. And I had already had this like sort of mindset of like binging content because I was also playing RuneScape back in the day. Oh, same. We used to play together for a little bit. Oh yeah, we did. We shared usernames. Um, and yeah, I got to like level 75, which if you don't know, is a huge deal. Big deal. Especially in 06. Like, uh-huh. Huge deal. And I was like looking at the, the leaderboards and like there was this one player that was consistently the best player ever. And it was like Zazima. Do you remember that? Vaguely, but yeah. Yeah. Zazima. And for some reason, I had so much respect for this person that was pouring their life into this game. Uh, And so I decided that I wanted to do that too. Okay, I want to stop you for a second here. Because what's so fascinating is, I feel like there'll be people listening to this and they're like, I don't understand why she's getting bullied. But you have to understand in 06, there was not this internet culture. Mm -hmm. The internet was looked at as very much as this thing that nerds in their basement did and they're like fat. They're basically the way we look at like, non-Redditors look at Redditors. That's how anyone looked at anyone using the internet. And... So what I'm really hearing is you saw a life uh, in your day-to-day when you mm-hmm. go to school and you felt like an other. 
Mm-hmm. You felt like an outcast. People didn't relate to the things that you liked. And online, you found this community of people who were into the things you were interested in, were kind of pouring their lives online, and you felt almost accepted like you were a part of something. Mm-hmm. Right. So then you, then what? You dive deep into just being an internet person? Yeah. Well, since like I was actually spending like probably um, 20 hours a day on this godforsaken game. Cause like every moment counted, like yeah. I got to boost my stats. I even had like online boyfriends in RuneScape that had never seen me before in their entire lives, but something about them was they were attracted to the pixels that well, I was. Well, back then, if you just claimed to be a woman on the internet, whether you were or not, this made you very popular. It's so. true. <laughs> like my sister and I, like in the infancy of AOL, would go on random chat rooms and create a person. We we're like, okay, we're going to be from California. We're going to be 18. Our name's going to be Molly. And we're going to, talk to random strangers and there were people that we made connections with that thought that we were this girl and we were effectively catfishing before it even had a term see you were that person that like when the internet first became a thing uh they would go on good morning america and be like there are people in chat rooms (laughs) pretending to be other people and then your parents come and tell you to get off the chat rooms (laughs) yeah no that's exactly what was happening they like saw that we were like crowded by the computer and we're like giggling and they're like what you doing and seeing that we're talking to a random stranger and my mom loves watching dr phil and like dateline and whatever so she was like y'all can go on the internet but you can't use your real names and we're like that's actually okay like we can do that that makes sense but then that came back to bite me in the butt later on (laughs) but okay so you kind of dive in and what I think is fascinating that happened is obviously middle school is not great for you. It was really bad for me too. Uh-huh. But in high school, you I wouldn't consider you popular, but you had you were almost a cult leader in a way. You were like the leader of the alternative kids. Like at least that's how it felt to me. That's so funny. That you everyone say would that. come. I mean, everyone would come to your house uh-huh. and we would hang out all the time. You were like the center of this like other you know, non-traditional world, don't uh-huh. you think? Like, and I feel like I feel like those were the peak, the peak Matt's days. <laughs> yeah. I felt like you were like the queen of the world for a little bit. Honestly, yeah, I think like you know, the sixth grade version of me was nothing like the senior year of high school version of me. Mm. Um, what changed? Well, first of all, I got off the internet, but okay. it wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't by choice. Oh, okay. Um, so um, I would say that maybe by seventh grade, I had actually gained a pretty big following on YouTube. Um, instead of lurking and watching content, I started contributing to the community mm-hmm. in the form of um, anime vlogging before vlog was even like a word. Yeah. I remember the first video on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it's the one where... Uh, somebody goes to the zoo. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, one of the creators. He went to the zoo. Yeah, <laughs> and so I remember I remember when it was uploaded too. It wow, was, it was kind of crazy. But yeah, I was like, well, I guess like I should start putting out videos, and I was almost on there exclusively for anime. So I was like, well, 
uh, obviously other people love anime on this website and it worked. I like amassed maybe like a hundred thousand followers my first year. And I think you, you really have to take a second to understand that having a hundred thousand followers in 2007 was essentially like having 10 million followers, probably more when you really think about it comparably, but it wasn't a job at the time. So it was very different interpretation. This was not something you went around telling people back then. Yeah, no, I was embarrassed of it because like, it's a really preppy school that we went to. Um, and so I already didn't feel like I related to anybody, but I do remember that there was a nerdy person in my class and they were talking about my channel. They're like, I saw this YouTube the other day. Um, they said this YouTube, like <laughs> terminology was different back. Like then. we didn't use the word channel, like or anything. YouTuber was not a word. No. So. <laughs> and they were talking about me and, um, that was like terrifying. I was like, they're going to find out my secret identity because you weren't using your face or anything. Right? I wasn't using my real name. My right. mom, that was my own, my only rule from my mom was that I shouldn't use my real name. And so, uh, I started getting invited to speak at anime conventions. Um, wow. and like they had no idea how old I really was. I think at this point I was 14 or 15, <laughs> but they invited me anyway. And I asked my mom to go, and she's like, no, this sounds terrible. <laughs> and it's true. It did sound terrible, uh, being a mom and all, and like meeting strangers on the internet. Yes. That's exactly what I was doing. But I was like, no, mom, it's different. It's different. And like, how is she going to take my word? You know? Sure. She so, barely knows what the internet is. Yeah. Yeah. All she knows about it is from Dr. Phil, which is usually not good. So. Yeah, um, I think I finally convinced her this one time by um, her actually going with me and getting a hotel at the convention. And so my dad and her would stay behind at the hotel room. And if I needed them, then I could call them and they'd pick me up or something. Aww. But that's that's what they did. Um, so that was the first time I was allowed to go. And then they let me go with my real friends from like uh, um, like middle school. And... That was weird because I remember going with my friends that I made in real life who knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And then I met some fans of mine at the convention who were calling me by a different name. Wow. And so we're literally having a face-to-face -face moment where my online friends are meeting my real friends. It was like this clash. No one knows what's going on. <laughs> and like... I was like, how do I get out of this situation? This is so sticky. I just ran. I just ran away. Mm. I was like, well, if I'm not here, then they don't have a reason to stay, right? Then mm -hmm. I think it worked, actually. So so why did you stop? Well, one, why did you stop making YouTube videos? But like, you know, you said the difference between middle school you and senior year you, which you kind of got offline more. What made you get more offline? Uh, the turning point was that... Um, I got kicked off of YouTube. You got you got kicked off? What happened? You get copyright claimed? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this was before YouTube even got monetized. I remember when they um, were thinking about it and all of us were like, nah, they're not really going to do that. Mm -hmm. But they did. And um, right around that time, they started cracking down on DMCA 
Um, so I was using uh, clip straight from the show. Uh, that that too, and that actually like TV Tokyo owns Naruto. They mm-hmm. like filed a few claims against me, but it was actually the music is what uh, ah what that'll do it. That'll my do ultimate it. downfall. Yeah, and they have a three strike policy, and so I knew it was coming, but for some reason I thought I was like immune to the whole thing. And you weren't making money at the time, so you don't care that much. Right. I was part of a studio, which was crazy. Like, I got invited to be part of this creator collective where... Oh, like Maker or something? Yeah. Yeah, sort of like that. Um, Like, everyone who was in the anime community was doing this. They were creating studios where everyone creates content under a specific name. And so I got extremely boosted from the wealth and um, fame from other creators. (laughs) Just being lumped into this group automatically gave me like a celeb status in sort of a way. And it's crazy that like the worlds were colliding. I thought that my online presence was completely separate than my abysmal life that was going on in the real world. But I got an invitation to work with this guy that I had been so excited about because he was like a primo uh, like content creator. And yeah. we worked on something remotely. And then my friend Shari. Oh, shout out to Shari. Shout out to Shari and all, all the siblings in that, uh, that whole family. But she invited me to go to MomoCon. Mm. And I was like, sweet, let's go. And I get to her house and I meet her brother and her brother was that exact guy. No way. Yeah. He, he, like we started talking about YouTube and he told me his username. And then you're like. And I, <laughs> and I told him my username and he was like, are you kidding? We've been working remotely this whole time. We lived five minutes away from each other. Wow. I know that was like one of the craziest moments ever. And he was 30 and I was like 15. 15? (laughs) I can't believe that we were working together. Um, And so like, that's when I was like, this is getting way too tangled up in my real life. Mm. Uh, People were like, this is when Facebook was emerging and back in like 2008. MySpace. Yeah. MySpace too. Um, And so people were adding me that were f- like my fans right. and they were like, why do you have a different name? And I was like, this is getting The lie was just kind of catching up to you. <sighs> I like didn't expect it. And I had a really good friend that I made online and his name is Seth. Shout out to Seth. And he was like one of my best friends ever. Uh, and to this day, like I still wish that I knew what he looked like because you never met him in person. Mm-mm. Wow. We were like, so we talked on MSN a lot. <laughs> MSN was our, our go-to place. And then we all moved to Skype and then we all moved to Facebook. Mm-hmm. And then when the face or I guess my, my space was in there too. But when we all got to Facebook, we're like, oh wow, they all have real lives. And this is getting too personal, mm. I think. And so that's around the time that my channel got dropped. And I had to decide, do I want to rebuild a channel with my fake name and continue on? Or do I want to take a step back from this and enjoy my real life that mm. I was ignoring? I love that. 
yeah, I was spending like 12 hours a day on the computer and my sister would like occasionally kick me off to check her Facebook. (laughs) And like while she's checking her Facebook and her MySpace and stuff, she's like, what do you do all day? And I'm like, oh, I, I, I talk to strangers, I guess. She's like, well, talk to real people. Yeah. I was like, I guess I never thought of it like that. <laughs> I was just worried that real people would think that I wasn't cool enough because everyone at school reminded me that I wasn't. Yeah. But then you started talking to real people and what happened? Um. Well, it started with my friend Laura because we really love SpongeBob. Yeah. And to this day, we speak in SpongeBob ease to each other. Um, and she was the first person to show me that being weird and zany was um, all right. Mm -hmm. And you can have fun while, like, everyone is bullying you. You know, like, the large majority of people didn't like me. And I was like, they were set in their ways. They were like, no, we're not letting her in. But Laura, because, you know, middle school, more people, more opportunities... She had no idea of my past. Yeah, She just knew the version of me that she was looking at and had no idea that I was fat or that I was struggling. So yeah, she was like my first friendship. And then... And how did this affect you, finding someone who you could be yourself with and not feel like ostracized or an other? I feel like, you know, people get their first friend in like their early days, <laughs> like way before middle school. But this was my first actual friend, mm-hmm. and I was so terrified. I was like, how do, how do people have friends? I don't know. Do I invite her over? Like, I didn't know how to test these waters. Um, but yeah, like, she became, like, a friend of the family, and every time she would spend the night, I would make her eggs, and, like, that was our thing. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, that was when I realized that maybe life outside of the internet actually is worth living um and then yeah it just skyrocketed from there um in seventh grade I like got a really big surge of popularity for some reason uh like I felt like the center of attention I don't know what happened but everyone thought that like I had really um jumped out of my shell and like this was the Madison that they were waiting for oh I can tell you what happened it was exactly (laughs) what you were just saying you embrace yourself I remember very clearly being in middle school, being at General Ray Davis in seventh grade, and I had a miserable time all three years. Why? Because I felt like I could not express myself at any point in my life. Mm -hmm. I had friends like Ian and Kenny, shout out to Ian and Kenny, that I had known since I was so young and so different, Mm -hmm. you know, and innocent, and I was changing and going through puberty and I felt like they couldn't relate because we didn't really talk about those things and I had my family and my parents who were very conservative my dad's 72 (laughs) you know at the time he was younger but still way older than me and I don't have any siblings Mm -hmm. so it was just me and I felt like everyone expected something of me other than who I really was and I didn't know how to be me and I think a lot of people felt that way. And in seventh grade, that was the time where I saw a person like you just being goofy and zany and not worrying about fitting in or how they were perceived. And to a seventh grader, 
that's incredibly inspiring. I think it's, you know, very inspiring to me to this day. And it helped me in a way get to the point where ultimately, and really wasn't until like junior year of high school, but, you know, I was able to kind of accept who I was. And, you know, I think what you're saying, uh, you know, this story, I know it's from a long time ago, but I think it's so relevant today because I think the internet has a bigger place than ever in people's lives. And I think the boundary between what's real on the internet and what's real in real life is much more interconnected than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And I think we can all appreciate taking time to separate the two, even doing this, right? You know, I always want these to be conversations. Yeah. But no matter what I do, it's still on the internet. There's still a barrier between how we would have this conversation on and off camera. But I still think there's a lot of, a lot people can really derive from this, Mm -hmm. you know? So let's, let's keep going. Cause I think, you know, there's such valuable lessons in here. You're in seventh grade and you get this surge of popularity and, you know, do you embrace it? It seems like it. Do you like carry that into becoming the, you know, version of you that everyone kind of knew at the end of high school? Yeah. I think that it was a, a few key players in that, that like made me feel like I belonged. Um, and, Yeah, I feel like I had amassed a small friend group, which was the thing that I was wanting and craving for so long. The same thing you were trying to get on the internet. Yeah, on the internet, I like whenever I would log in, like everyone gets a notification that I'm online and they're like, hey. And like, I didn't get that when I like walked into the the door at (laughs) school. You walked into school? No one. No one. (laughs) They were not excited about me. So I don't know what happened, but I just extremely lucked out in seventh grade. But at the same time, something really life-changing happened in seventh grade. Um, uh, My mom, she tried to kill herself in seventh grade. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Well, when I was in seventh grade. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And... You know, obviously it was a huge deal. Um, she like had to go to like a, a mental health center for a few weeks, and there were talks of like divorce within my family. Yeah. And um, my sister and I were like, we were preparing for the worst. Like she was ready to go live with my dad, and I was ready to live with my mom. Mm-hmm. And we were even gonna buy a new house and everything. And yeah, like, of course, it's going to take a toll. And that's heavy. um, Yeah, like my friends noticed like that I was getting really distant and far away. But, you know, we're kids. We're like 13. They don't know what's going on. Right. Like you're just telling everybody this. Yeah, I'm not going to tell everyone what was going on. Um, And so I noticed that these friends of mine that I had started to really care about, um, they noticed that I was getting more distant and they kind of accepted that and they themselves got distant from me. Mm. Um, because what's a 13 year old going to be worrying about, you know? Um, so I feel like by eighth grade, all the progress that I had made was like lost and like mm. having this heavy burden on my family and myself made me, um, kind of sink back into my old ways and revert back to be being on the internet like all the time. Mm. And I remember like our house is so big that like we have um, a basement that we normally like rent out to people. 
Um, but this particular summer, um, it was uh, unoccupied. So I like moved myself into the basement of our house and I played RuneScape. I got back into RuneScape and I played for hours and hours. Like I would stare at this one computer screen and I was, it was such a low, you know? Um, at least when I was like, like back in the day I was working towards something Mm -hmm. and being a creative and pouring my time and energy into content. And now I was just playing a dumb game. Yeah. And so I spent that summer feeling pretty miserable, um, thinking that gaming would help, but no, it didn't. (laughs) I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's an incredibly hard burden for someone at that age to deal with. Mm-hmm. How did you get yourself out of that? Um, well, I think that was like a good turning point for my mom too. Um, my mom or my sister's actually the one who found my mom. Mm. Um, my mom wasn't actually intending to do that. She wanted to go to sleep for a long time is how she put it to me. She got into an argument with my sister And she just, like, without looking at the milligrams of what she was taking, she just took, like, a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my sister found her, like, unresponsive. And so that really um, made the family, like, invest a little more into um, the family itself. Like, we went back to having family meals and stuff. Um, By this point, this is when I started getting really into cooking, Cooking is one of my very favorite hobbies. And so um, my dad came home at like 10 p.m. every night, and my mom was still recovering from all that. So I would make a very extravagant meal so that everyone would come together at the end of the night. And Uh yeah, we had like sort of a a shift in the family where we actually did um, focus on each other. And that kind of contributed to like how, um, how things started getting a little better within the fam. Um, but yeah, I can't say that high school was like any, uh, exciting, like it sort of just, um, made me realize that I'm here to get good grades. Like I, I kind of hunkered down. I was like, YouTube doesn't matter. Um, like I had my, my small friend group for the, for the moment and like ninth and 10th grade, I just kind of hunkered down and focused on my studies Um, but once we started driving and hanging out, once that started happening, I think that's when everything took a turn and I amassed a bunch of friends. Okay. Uh, you know, in our small, uh, town, there's not a lot to do. Nope. (laughs) There's like, I remember, um, like we had prom, right? Um, and for some reason, it was a tradition after prom to go to Walmart. Do you remember this? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so glad you bring this up. I try to talk about weird Conyers small town traditions and people just don't believe me. Please, please continue. <laughs> the place to hang out was Taco Bell. Oh, Taco Bell. Everyone would hang out at Taco Bell. Until Friday night after a football game, win or lose. 
flooded at Taco Bell because with every ticket they give you one free soft taco. Yes. So everyone was broke. So people would come and just buy the one free soft taco. The Doritos Locos Taco. And there was like a hierarchy of how cool you were with how good of seats you got. Were you with all the people who are popular? Mm-hmm. They would save seats for the team. Oh my god. I really regretted not joining like the band because they made it seem like our band was really fun. Yeah, they sure made it seem like it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And they're really clicky too. Like, I've never seen a band program that was this involved. Especially because we weren't that good. You know, it's not yeah. like we were winning awards or anything. <laughs> I guess like we did go to like the high school championships one time. Well, we didn't win. <laughs> we didn't win, but the band was like so excited they're like we get to do more band things and they're like competing against other bands and uh they did the marching band every summer and i dated a few people that were in band and i was like i actually kind of want to do band but i had already staked my claim in chorus Mm -hmm. like and so we have the chorus people the musical theater people and the band people um and i feel like that was like the 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 big three, which was uh, like if you declared one or the other, but I did both. Oh, <laughs> I I eventually made my way into the musical theater crowd, and I think that's where I got my voice. Yep, yeah, because the musical theater crowd was—they weren't exactly the cool kids, but they definitely had their like own group and their own like hierarchy in between there. Yeah, and like our program is extremely well funded because, you know, Jack McBrayer went yeah. to our high school yeah, performing and, arts magnet, yeah. And his dad is on the school board. So, <laughs> we got a bunch of funding for it. And yeah, we put on extraordinary shows. Um, I actually, um, the musical theater teacher did not like me because I was so outspoken, which you would think like in a (laughs) class like that, you would maybe want to give them a few roles. So the entire time I was in musical theater, I was in it for three years. I didn't get a single leading role, which was a huge bummer because I think that, um, like I'm a pretty talented singer. I'm a shit dancer though. And that's like pretty I mean, much what happened. You have a record label deal. Not anyone else at Heritage High School got one of those. So I think they definitely could have given you a little more of a chance. Oh uh, yeah. Well, they didn't know that at the time. And I didn't know that either. Um, I didn't think I was the best singer, but at least I got instruction on how to be a good singer. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was an alto, like all like four years and for some reason I thought that the Sopranos were all like really good singers but they're (laughs) I don't know I found my voice at some point um with musical theater and um that really boosted my confidence too that's awesome and like hanging out with a bunch of people who don't care what people think about them really yeah boosted my mental health that's so cool oh man there's there's literally so much. We could do this for a long time. So I want to jump a little bit because there's a whole topic I have to talk to you about. Okay. You are not straight, right? No. When did you find out? Um, you know. First off, how would you define your sexuality? Uh, like a bendy straw. <laughs> like, <Love that. laughs> you know, like it does meet in the middle. Like, even though it's like uh twists and turns there is like if you average it out it is straight yes so i'm straight presenting but there are certain times where i'm like super gay (laughs) 
And it just depends on who I'm with because um, they're like, you know, I have a, a type. I have a type of guys that I like and I have what's, a type of girls. What's your type of guy you like? Um, golden retriever energy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Someone who's down for anything, who loves to smile and laugh and they don't take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd like to describe myself, but, um, you know, it varies who I'm talking to. What about women? Um, women, I don't want them to be too intimidating. I get like really, um, competitive when I see women that are more attractive than I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know, I guess, I think that's just like a cultural thing, honestly, but I like um, women who have long hair and are, um, not afraid to be a bad bitch. Okay. <laughs> and they like to break the rules and they don't conform to like gender roles, mm-hmm. kind of like myself. So I see myself in a lot of like the women that I, um, pursue. Mm. Couldn't say that I'm really successful with, uh, bagging Stop. any, you any bag, girls. You bag some baddies. Yeah, they're all baddies, though, and that's why they don't stick around. <laughs> okay, so take me back to the beginning. How did you find out you were not straight? Who did you first come out to? How was it? I don't think I ever came out to anyone specific. Oh, you I came did. came out to me? Yeah, I guess I did. Not like formally, or maybe I did. You I did, remember. I remember it. But keep going. Um, well, my very first crush was um, on a girl in second grade. Ooh. And... I told my sister, and my sister is not very supportive of me either, um, but I told my sister that I had a crush on a girl when I was in second grade, and she, like, gasped, and she's like, but you can't. And I was like, (laughs) "Um, what do you mean? She's like, well, two girls can't like each other. And, you know, to me, I'm like a, like a little kid. Everything that my sister says is true. Of course. She even like lied to me when I was a kid and told me that, uh, it only turns night when night clouds come in. Mm. And you just believed it? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, Hey, how does night work? And she's like, Hmm, you see those clouds? Yeah, whenever it gets cloudy, it's nighttime. Ah, of course. And like for the longest time, I was like, wait, but when it's raining during the day, it's not nighttime. I don't know. She like really messed up my no, no, thinking. Those are the sometimes. day clouds. You're missing the point. Yeah. I just, <laughs> she didn't elaborate. Either. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's totally right. Uh, but yeah, she was the first one to like inform me that like liking a girl wasn't going to fly. So I just hit it underneath. Uh, but I remember I would show them like outward affection. I would like hug them. And I remember, like, I gave her a hug in the lunchroom, and a bunch of guys and girls, they were like, ooh. And I was like, what? Like, girls hug each other all the time. Yeah, and this is what, second grade? Yeah. And I was like, why is this any different? And so that was, like, the first instance that I noticed. But I was like, well, she said that I wasn't allowed, so I just kind of repressed it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then in high school, um, everyone's starting to to come into their own. And yeah. There were definitely a few girls that I was interested in, but still in my mind, they were like off limits. Right. So it wasn't until college where no one was checking in on me that I was like, yeah, I definitely like girls. But 
I'm not a lesbian. I'm pretty sure that I do like guys too. And I remember I dated my, like, my first boyfriend and I told him that I liked girls as well. And he was like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> I was like, why wouldn't it? <laughs> like, we're dating. Like, I'm just saying that, like, I, th- there's what, some okay, girls. Okay, what, what year is this, your first boyfriend, though? Uh, what, like, ninth grade? Yeah, me and Dan started dating in hey, eighth shout or out ninth to Dan. grade. <laughs> Dan. Yeah. Well, and Dan, there was a huge issue because his parents didn't like me because um, I wasn't Asian. Yeah. And so... Dan was Korean? No, he's he Vietnamese. Was, he was Vietnamese. Oh, okay. Oh, when? Duh, okay. Yeah. And so um, they really didn't like me. Uh, and that was like a huge hurdle of me, like even trying to build a relationship with him because every time I was over his house, I was under huge scrutiny. Um, yeah, I don't think I started outwardly admitting that I liked girls until college though. Yeah. That's when you told me freshman year. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, Maddie, I didn't see this coming whatsoever. What a massive surprise. (laughs) I've always been a little alternative. Like, I own dresses and skirts and I like dressing up, but I'm, I'm usually the t-shirt and the, and the jeans or leggings kind of gal. Um, but what was your, so tell me about your first like experience with a woman. Oh man. Well, um, she asked me to go to the museum with her. And, you know, me being kind of an intellectual, I was like, yeah, let's go to the museum. Did you think it was a date? No. I thought she really wanted to go to the museum. Okay. But then she um, started holding my hand and I was like, oh, we're going to the museum. Right, right. Uh And at this point we could drive too. And so I remember, oh, this was so sad and so Conyers, but after our museum date, I took her to Taco Bell. <laughs> with the, the Conyers. Was in high school? Yeah. What, senior year? Junior year. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Okay. I keep going. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I took her to Taco Bell and I played the entire Lord Um you know, Lord herself, the um, album she had at the time, Pure Heroin. And she's like, wow, I've never listened to something this good. And <laughs> I was like, that's like, I don't know. I feel like Lord like really helped me like come into my own. Okay. <laughs> even though she only had one album out at the time, but. Hey, it's an amazing album. Okay. So your list, so you're back at your place. Well, you're at Taco Bell. We're at Taco Bell. You're at Taco Bell. Yeah. And it's, you know, just us in the dark and we have, you know, our moment there. And I'm like, my heart is beating so fast and I'm so sweaty. (laughs) And this is the same feeling I get when I like guys. So therefore, and I could tell she was into it as well. Um, but I had to get her home for her curfew <laughs> at like 10 o'clock. So I had to get her home. But I was like, you know, after I dropped her off, I was like, 
<laughs> you know, like I, I feel like hot I was, and heavy, right? I was like holding in a very like long uh, sigh that yeah. I like, I don't know, it was exhausting being around this person that I had so much pent up energy for. Um, yeah, that was like my first. And that's like how you experience it. When did you lose your virginity? Um, I think, oh God, I hate. I hate how it's not cut and dry that I did because I (laughs) I feel like that's like all girls though. So uh, what made this a special genre of miserable was that um, I had my boyfriend over at the time and he was spending the night. And so I had like um, my main bed and then I had a bed underneath my bed that you could pull out. And so my mom was like, okay, you can sleep in the same bedroom, but you got to sleep in separate beds. I was like, okay. Of course, yeah. We'll, we'll do They're that. They're going to do that, yeah. And he, yeah, that's how it initially was. But then I invited him onto my bed mm. and we were fooling around. And then my mom, so nosy, she kept opening the door and trying to like jump scare us. Like, <laughs> ha, I caught you. And so I don't even like know if I would consider that the first time because Fair. it was it was literally gray area like <laughs> What was your first time with a girl? Um it was probably with that same girl that I went on a date with but we, Oh, you you bagged her later? <laughs> we went on a second date later. Um but it wasn't a date. I think we just met up at um our mutual friend's party. And um, we were already experimenting with alcohol by this point. Right. We were like 17. <laughs> so, you know, we all have that one friend that buys the alcohol. We all have the bad influence, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she was like um, pretty rowdy and I was like catching up with her. And I actually don't remember a lot of it, which is like a, a bummer. But mm. I do remember the feeling and I was like, this is awesome. That's so cool. Uh, I don't know. I just think... You know, when you think about being, you know, not even just gay, any sort of like not straight anywhere on the LGBTQIA perspective. Yeah. Um, it's amazing the level of acceptance and how much things have changed. I mean, uh, do you ever like envy people now who can just like openly be gay in high school and middle school and not have to, you know, feel the kind of otherness that you did you know people aren't saying like oh i'm a girl and i like girls you can't do that you know <laughs> like do you get jealous or are you happy for them i'm happy for them That's ultimately good. but i do feel like a twinge of like anger about it because to this day my mom still doesn't really agree with mm. my um gender and sexuality like um my views on it because I don't believe in gender roles and all this. And have you ever told her that you're, you know, not straight? Um, so I didn't officially tell her the The way that she found out was that, um, I think my sophomore year when I was in college, um, it was like by visibility day. Um, so they have like trans visibility day. They have like different days. Um, and so, on Facebook, I wrote a post about how like bisexual women are very likely to have mental health problems and um, the suicide rates amongst them are a lot higher than straight people. So it was just me posting awareness and uh, it was also thanking the people that I had already come out to 
that they weren't going to judge me and that they set me for who I am and et cetera. So my mom never logs on Facebook, but this particular day she did. Mm. And she called me really upset and said that she had talked to everyone in the family about what I had said on Facebook and how they were super disappointed in me and that I should be careful what I say online because now that I'm labeling myself as gay online, I'm not going to be able to get a good job. (laughs) And I had a job. I had a job at Apple and I was like, well, Apple actually has a lot of gay people that work there and they're really accepting of it. And she's like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, the orientation that I went to had a gay guy on the cover. <laughs> and she was like super concerned. And she was even bringing up like, am I ever going to have grandchildren? Oof. And that wasn't even on the table. Like we've, we've had a few discussions where like, I don't want kids. Like I've already kind of figured that out like long ago that I didn't want to have kids. But, but that's now- nothing to do with your sexuality. Yeah, and suddenly she cared. She was like, I, where are my grandchildren? And I was like, well, I have an a, a older sister, too. Why aren't you asking her? <laughs> She's actually dating. Um, so she still says, like, sly comments, like, during Christmas and, like, family gatherings that um, that she's upset that I didn't tell her and that um, this is a burden to her family. But, <laughs> you know, so many things that you talk about and you've talked about on here or just since I've known you have really revolved around your relationship with your mother, mm-hmm. you know, your father too, but especially her. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you'll ever have kids yourself, you know, maybe, maybe not. But if you were, what are things you would, would try to do differently? Um, well, through no fault of my mom's, um, she was always handicapped like when i knew her she got into a huge um accident on a lawnmower when i was like two years old that really messed up her spine so as long as i've known her she's been like this but um she just never um placed any importance on going outside or recreating Mm. like i feel like i never went to camp until i went to summer camp um, and even then she was like, do you really want to go? And I was like, yeah, I, I want to like experience the great outdoors. And she's like, well, we have a huge backyard. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But like, you know, I want to meet new friends. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I had an exposure to the outside uh, world. And so I would change that, like place more importance on going outside and um, maybe be more uh, open to new ideas mm-hmm. because when she's watching Dr. Phil and Dateline and the news and The View and Dr. Drew and Dr. Oz and whatever, they're all feeding her opinions that are their own opinions. Mm-hmm. And my mom has no actual opinions of her own. And they're usually toxic views on things and so yeah i i would believe in like forming your own opinions and not judging your kids when they're so young i absolutely love that yeah you know i definitely want kids in life and you know i think i had really great parents but i think the biggest 
thing that was tough for me is they never made me feel like I was in an environment where I could be anything other than what they wanted me to be. Mm. You know, and most of the time that wasn't really a problem. But it got to the point where as I got older, as I started having viewpoints that were different than my parents, my parents were really religious, you know, and especially my mom and just very, you know, traditionally like conservative black family. Um, And, you know, for the most part, we agreed on a lot of stuff. But as I got older and I started having different viewpoints, they would say things that I just couldn't buy. You know, like start with the most basic stuff like, you know, being gay is bad and gay people are all sinners. And I'd be like, you know, I I know gay people. They seem pretty cool. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they kind of seem just like everybody else. And when I started kind of forming some of my own opinions, I realized that there wasn't an open space to discuss and agree to disagree. So I started just hiding everything, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I remember by like junior year, my dad got so angry with me one day. I had done like nothing wrong. Like it was, I was hanging out with Hunter and I think, I think I was, I came back like two minutes after curfew and he got furious and I'm like, dad, it's two minutes. I left on time. I just had to get gas on the way back. Uh Got it at Rishi's gas station. Yeah. Um, But he was furious and he was like, right, just, you're always out with all these people and I don't know what you're doing. And in hindsight, I understood that he was mad because he just knew nothing about my life anymore. Mm -hmm. But he knew nothing about my life because they weren't open-minded. Yeah. You know, and if I was doing something they didn't agree with, they just weren't going to agree to disagree or try to understand. They were just going to shut me out. So I ended up just kind of excluding them fully. And I really envy people who have like really close relationships with their parents, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I'm very thankful to even have had parents, you know, especially such great ones. So I'm not taking that for granted by any means, but I want to make sure that, you know, when I have kids, even if I'm too old to understand why they do certain things, I always want to make them feel like they can share it. Because I honestly feel closer to my parents now than I did at any point in my life, which is ironic because, you know, I barely see them anymore because <laughs> they're in Georgia and I'm here in L.A. But when I come home or I just talk to them on the phone, like, I feel like I'm finally at the point where I can always be myself with them because... I don't really care if they accept me anymore. Like I don't particularly need them. I just keep them in my life because I want them and I like them. And, you know, so when I hear you talk to you about your parents, you know, one thing that always seems to be a constant theme is it seems like your mom just wanted you to be someone you weren't, Mm -hmm. but instead of accepting you for who you were, she just kept constantly trying to turn you into this person that you weren't. And, you know, I've, I've always understood kind of the resentment you know, that that's created. And, and I think that's a lesson we can all kind of kind of learn and appreciate from. Yeah, it's interesting that you phrase it like that, because like when you're experiencing it all, you know, it's just uh, hard to see from the outside mm-hmm. what is actually going on. And yeah, like she would always praise me that I would get good grades. But like the fact that I had like, you know, she's unashamedly racist and (laughs) yeah, she's pretty racist. She's yeah. Like I won't even sugarcoat it. Um, and so she complained to me like, you're doing so good in school, but you don't have any friends. And so I would make friends and they were black because our community was a lot like percentage black. And, um, she'd be like, well, that's not good enough. Your friends need to be white. Mm. And like, 
I'm just constantly jumping through hoops. Yeah. Do you remember what you told me? It was like one of like the second or third times that I come over to your house and hung out. What did I say? You said your mom had like accused me of like stealing something. Oh, right. Yeah. No, whenever something goes missing in the house, she blames other people. And the first person that she blamed was you (laughs) for a charger for. Yes, that's what it was. A charger for an iPad. And I was like, well, that makes zero sense. David doesn't even own a tablet. (laughs) Why would he? Why would he take that? I had a flip phone at the time. She, uh, yeah, she's not, she's not self-aware. Um, <laughs> no, it was tough, but, but yeah, I don't know. I just think more than anything, it's just always amazed me that despite all these things that you've dealt with, you know, like I said at the very beginning, it's never changed the way you approach people. Mm-hmm. You always give people, you know, honesty and the benefit of the doubt. And I think that is just incredible. Before I let you go, um, you know, give me some last words. Anything you want to make sure people get from this? Um, well, I would say that, like, people who are having mental health issues and are using the Internet as a way to cope with that, a lot of people, especially right now, like, we're getting a lot of information overload. Mm-hmm. You know, terrible things are happening outside this country and inside this country. And we're flocking to social media to make our lives seem smaller and to um, come with like coping mechanisms by finding solace in other people who are going through this. Even if your community is online, that's your community. Like, I always felt like I was out of place for having friends that were strictly online. But, like, if you have, if you find support and you find comfort in an online community, then to me, that's the same as like a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super refreshing to meet people all over the world that the only difference between you two is your location. Wow. And yeah, it, uh, at the same time, it's a double-edged sword. If you feel like you're going on Instagram and you're experiencing a sense of dread right. when you log on, then it might be time to reconsider your online community that you belong to. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though content is sort of like a grind these days where you feel like you need to be contributing by making content, um, I would invite you to reconsider why you're making content in the first place. Are you doing it to express yourself or do you feel obligated to because others around you are creating content? Oh, and I absolutely love that. Well, I mean, I can't thank you enough. Next time you're in town, I'll have you on again. But I just think it is amazing to, you know, let other people get a glimpse of, you know, what I get to talk to here every time I I speak to you. You know, I think much more people can really appreciate your perspective, and I think you had some amazing advice. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. All right. Episode's over. Thank you.